This is a Reconstruction radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book on PDF. The title of this book is The Great Tribulation by David Chilton. Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas. Copyright 1987 by Dominion Press. Chapter 7. Vengeance for the Martyrs. For the first century readers of Revelation, the tribulations depicted in it were becoming all too real. Each church would soon know the anguish of having some of its most forthright and able leaders imprisoned and executed because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Revelation 6 9. For many Christians all across the empire, the coming months and years would involve great distress, as families would be separated and loved ones killed. When tragedy strikes, we are all tempted to ask, Does God care? This question is especially intense when the pain is caused by vicious enemies of the faith bent on destroying God's people, and the injustice of the suffering becomes apparent. If Christians were truly the servants of the King, when would He act? When would he come to punish the apostates who had first used the power of the Roman state to crucify the Lord, and now were using that same power to kill and crucify the prophets and wise men and scribes? Matthew 23.34 Whom Christ had sent. Thus the breaking of the fifth seal reveals a scene in heaven where the souls of those who had been slain underneath or around the base of the altar Revelation 6, 9-10 The image is taken from the Old Testament sacrifices in which the blood of the slain victim would stream down the sides of the altar and form into a pool around its base. The soul, Hebrews, Nefesh, of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus seventeen eleven. The blood of the martyrs had been poured out. See following Second Timothy 4, 6 and as it fills the trench below the altar, it cries out from the ground with a loud voice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the land? The church in heaven agrees with the cherubim in calling forth God's judgments. How long? is a standard phrase throughout Scripture for invoking divine justice for the oppressed. See following Psalms 6 and 3. 13. 1 and 2, 35, 17, 74, 10, 79, 5, 84, 89, 46, 90, 13, 94, 3 through 4, and Habakkuk, 1, 2, and 2, 6. The particular background for its use here, however, is again in the prophecy of Zechariah 1, 12. After the four horsemen have patrolled through the earth, the angel asks, O Lord of hosts, how long will thou have no compassion for Jerusalem? St. John reverses this. After his four horsemen have been sent on their mission, he shows the martyrs asking how long God will continue to put up with Jerusalem, how long before he destroys her for her violent oppressions. St. John's readers would not have failed to notice another subtle point. 
If the martyr's blood is flowing around the base of the altar, it must be the priests of Jerusalem who have spilled it. The officers of the covenant have slain the righteous. As Jesus and the apostles testified, Jerusalem was the murderer of the prophets. Matthew 23, 34-37 Luke 13, 33 Acts 7, 51-52 The connection with the blood of Abel crying out from the ground near the altar, Genesis 4.10, is another indication that this passage has, as a whole, refers to judgment upon Jerusalem, see following Matthew 23, 35-37. Like Cain, the older brothers of the Old Covenant envied and murdered the righteous younger brothers of the New Covenant, 1 John 3:11-12, And so the blood of the righteous cries out, the saints pray that Christ's prophecy of the days of vengeance, Luke 21:22, will be fulfilled. That this blunt cry for vengeance strikes us as strange just shows how far our pietistic age has degenerated from the biblical worldview. If our churches were more acquainted with the foundational hymn book of the church, the book of Psalms, instead of the sugary, syrupy, sweetness and light choruses, that characterize modern evangelical hymnals, we would understand this much easier. But we have fallen under a pagan delusion that is somehow unchristian to pray for God's wrath to be poured out upon the enemies and persecutors of the church. Yet that is what we see God's people doing with God's approval in both testaments of the Holy Scriptures. See, for example, Psalm 5, 7, 35, 58, 59, 68, 69, 73, 79, 83, 109, 137, and 140. It is, in fact, a characteristic of the godly man that he despises the reprobate, Psalm 15, 4. The spirit expressed in the imprecatory prayers of Scripture is a necessary aspect, though not the whole of the Christian's attitude, 2 Timothy 4.14 Much of the impotence of our churches today is directly attributable to the fact that they have become emasculated and effeminate. Such churches, unable to even to confront evil, much less overcome it, will eventually be captured and dominated by their enemies. The righteous and faithful saints in heaven are recognized as kings and priests of God, and thus there is given to each of them a white robe. Revelation 6.11 Symbolizing God's acknowledgement of their purity before Him. A symbol of the victory of the overcomers. Revelation 3, 4 and 5 The whiteness of the robe is part of a characteristic pattern in Revelation in which the last three items in a seven-fold structure match the first four items. Thus, first seal, white horse. Second seal, red horse. Third seal, black horse. Fourth seal, green horse. Fifth seal, white robes. Sixth seal, moon like blood, sun black. Seventh seal, green grass burned. In answer to the saints' plea for vengeance, God answers that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, should be completed also. The full number of martyrs has not yet been completed. 
The full iniquity of their persecutors has not yet been reached. Genesis 15:16. Although it is fast approaching the doom of God's wrath to the uttermost being poured out upon them. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14-16 We must remember that the primary application of this has to do with apostate Israel, those who dwell on the land, which, in cooperation with Roman authorities, was murdering the saints. The martyrs are instructed to wait a little while, and God's judgment will assuredly strike, bringing the promised great tribulation upon covenant-breaking Israel. As the sixth seal is broken, Revelation 6, 12-14, we are more clearly brought into the events of Israel's last days. The Lamb reveals the next great aspect of His covenantal judgments, and His symbol often used in biblical prophecy, de-creation. Just as the salvation of God's people is spoken of in terms of creation, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 5, 17, Ephesians 2, 10, and 4, 24, Colossians 3.10 So God's judgment and the revelation of His presence as judge over a sinful world are spoken of in terms of decreation, the collapse of the universe, God ripping apart and dissolving the fabric of creation. Thus, St. John uses the fundamental structures of creation in describing the fall of Israel. Number one, earth. Number two, sun. Number three, moon. Number four, stars. Number five, firmament. Number six, land. Number seven, man. These seven judgments are detailed in terms of the familiar prophetic imagery of the Old Testament. First, destabilization, a giant earthquake, Exodus nineteen eighteen, Psalm eighteen seven and fifteen, sixty two, Isaiah thirteen thirteen and fourteen. And twenty four, nineteen and twenty. Nahum one five. Second, the eclipse and mourning of Israel. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. Exodus ten, twenty one and twenty three. Job nine seven. Isaiah five thirty and twenty four twenty three. Ezekiel thirty two seven. Joel two ten and thirty one. And three fifteen. Amos eight nine and Micah 3.6. Third, the image of an eclipse continues, with the idea of defilement added. The whole moon became like blood, Job 25.5, Isaiah 13.10 and 24.23, Ezekiel 32.7, Joel 2.10 and 31. The fourth judgment affects the stars, which are images of government, Genesis 1.16. They are also clocks, Genesis 1.14 And their fall shows that Israel's time has run out. The stars fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Job 9.7 Ecclesiastes 12.2 Isaiah 13.10 and 34.4 Ezekiel 32.8 Daniel 8.10 Joel 2.10 and 3.15 The great wind, of course, was brought by the four horsemen, who in Zechariah's original imagery were the four winds, Zechariah 6.5, and who will be reintroduced to St. John in that form in Revelation 7.1, and the fig tree in Israel herself, Matthew 21.19 and 
32-34, Luke 21, 29-32. Fifth, Israel herself now simply disappears. The heaven vanished. Like a copper scroll snapping shut, Isaiah 34, 4 and 51, 6, Psalm 102, 25 and 26. On the symbolism of Israel as heaven, see Isaiah 51, 15 and 16, Jeremiah 4, 23 through 31, Hebrews 12, 26 through 27. Sixth, the Gentile powers are shaken as well. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Job 9, 5 and 6, 14, 18 through 19, 28, 9 and 11, Isaiah 41, 5 and 15, 16, Ezekiel 38 and 20, Nahum 1, 4 through 8, Zephaniah 2, 11. God's old creation, Israel, is thus to be decreated as the kingdom is transferred to the church, the new creation, 2 Peter 3, 7 through 14. Because the rulers in God's vineyard have killed his son, they too will be killed. Matthew 21, 33-45 The vineyard itself will be broken down, destroyed, and laid waste. Isaiah 5, 1-7 In God's righteous destruction of Israel, he will shake even heaven and earth. Matthew 24, 29-30 Hebrews 12, 26-28 In order to deliver his kingdom over to his new nation, the church. In the closing verses of Revelation 6, Old Testament prophetic imagery is still in view as St. John describes the apostates under judgment. This is the seventh phase of decreation, the destruction of men. But this seventh item in the list opens up to reveal another seven within it. Just as the seventh seal and seventh trumpet each contains the next set of seven judgments, for seven classes of men are named here, showing that the destruction is total, affecting small and great alike. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man, none will be able to escape, regardless of either privileged status or insignificance. The whole land has rejected Christ and the whole land is being excommunicated. Again, the parallels show that the judgment upon Israel is intended by this prophecy, Isaiah 2 and 24-27. through 27. Although other nations, the kings of the earth, will be affected as well. As the earth is decreated, and the mediating natural revelation is removed, placing sinners face to face with the bare revelation of the holy and righteous God, the men of Israel attempt to flee and to seek protection in anything that might seem to offer refuge. Flight underground and into caves is a sign of being under a curse. Genesis 19.30-38 Thus they hid themselves. Genesis 3.8 In the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. God's eye for an eye judgment on them for their mistreatment of the righteous. Hebrews 11.38 Judges 7.25 St. John records their desperate plea to the mountains and rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And Nahum 1.6, Malachi 3.2 Who is able to stand? 
The interpretation given here is again confirmed. This passage is not speaking of the end of the world, but of the end of Israel in AD 70. The origin of the symbolism here is in the prophecy of Hosea against Israel. Ephraim will be seized with shame, and Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Samaria will be cut off with her king, like a stick on the surface of the water. Also, the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us! And to the hills, Fall on us! Hosea 10, 6-8 Jesus cited this text on his way to the crucifixion, stating that it would be fulfilled upon idolatrous Israel within the lifetimes of those who were then present. And there were following him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Luke 23, 27-30 As the churches in Asia Minor were first reading this vision, the prophesied judgments were already taking place. The final end was fast approaching. The generation that had rejected the landlord's son, Matthew 21, 33-45, would soon be screaming these very words. The crucified and resurrected Lord was coming to destroy the apostates. This was to be the great day of the outpoured wrath of the Lamb whom they had slain. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.